0: Genesis. I'm going to read Genesis 4 and John 15. This is the word of God. I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zala, listen to me, wives of Lamech. Hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech seventy-seven times. John 15. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. This is the word of God.
1: We'll be uh, doing something a little bit different than we normally do. Uh, Pastor Howard and I are actually sticklers for reading uh, and preaching scripture alone. And so we're really scared of doing topical sermons. Uh, We just uh, get nervous about taking things out of context. But today is actually a topical sermon. Uh, And so you see that you have a plethora of re, uh, scripture readings, and I'll be referring to those. In fact, I think every scripture I'll read today will be actually in your bulletin. There may be some parts that aren't, some, some context given. But let me, let me start with reading uh, reading something that's a, it's an edgy-sounding kind of quote. It's, a, uh, it's, it's so modern-sounding, it's unbelievable. Let me read to you. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For who, for whom am I toiling, toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. That sounds like it could have been written uh, at you know sometime during world war 1 the lost generation all those folks who met in paris and talked about how miserable the world was and 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 uh, kind of gutted uh, uh any hope for the world uh, uh, uh you know uh, it sounds like it was a bleak and, and and hard time um and it is but it was written uh by the writer of ecclesiastes probably solomon maybe likely solomon uh some thousand years before Jesus ever came some 3000 years ago and it sounds completely modern completely up to date it could be you know uh the beginning of uh, of a you know a mini series or something like that there was a man and he was alone um uh, that's what we have before us a man alone the scripture introduces friendship uh in this way and in many other ways and it meets us uh as relational people longing for friendship, two are better than one, is a given in Scripture. And it's a given in our society as well. I have been amazed in our day and age how few family, I don't want to say family-oriented because that seems like a family value kind of statement. I mean uh, TV shows about a family. You know, I mean, even 10 years ago, we had uh, the Cosby show or 15 years ago, the Cosby show. And even if it was married with children, it was a family deal. It was a family show. Nowadays, it's almost absent, almost completely absent. It's Friends. It's Martin. It's uh, it's uh, the Seinfeld. It's uh, all these kind of things. The, ba- the reality TV that we have, what is it other than tr- figuring out how to have an alliance how to have friends, how to form uh, uh those kind of camaraderie relationships. What is it? You would figure with all that stuff that we have that we would be good at friendships. But my estimation is that we are not. That we are good at watching people try to have friendships. But we're really not good at them at all. <laughs> Let me speak frankly with you, and I'm going straight at it real quick, I guess. <laughs> um, Christ Central Church is a church that wants to be about, a, be an eclectic community of authentic relationships. Code word, friendships. <laughs> knowing a diversity that we have, knowing the people we are, coming from all the places we do, we want to be about being friends. And Pastor Howard and I realized this really early on in our relationship and our vision as thinking about this eclectic community and authentic relationships. So one of the things we said from the very beginning was that it's going to be really important that we become brothers, that we become friends, that we can model true and genuine authentic relationships between each other, just the two of us, and our families beyond that, and our teams beyond that. And we really bought into this. We spend a lot of time together. Sometimes we get sick of each other. uh, But we spend a lot of time together and we keep really short accounts with each other. We really, you know, hey, you all right? Is that cool? Do that in a statement? We're good? You know, we do that a lot. We do that a lot because we realize, and some other people have even told us, Christ central church will be planted on the backs of the integrity of your relationship. That's... Incredibly daunting. Hopefully it's uh, planted on the backs of our Lord Jesus Christ. But um but and we bought into it and it's true and and we spent months and months making sure that we became friends, and we still are, and I think growing in our friendships, and it's beautiful and wonderful, but we believed the hype a little bit too much because about eight months ago, I realized that most of us in this congregation, and, uh, and some of you weren't here eight months ago, so you're totally off the hook right now, um, but most of us in this con- in the congregation were glad to see Howard and I do friendship but weren't glad to participate in friendship or authentic relationships themselves. As I said before, we're really not good at friendship. We're good at watching friendship. Christ Central Church, a church that wants to be eclectic community of authentic relationships, will be built on not the backs of our friendship alone, but the backs of all the friendships that will occur through here. When you come to Lord's Supper, I love that we come up front because you have to believe the gospel for the person that you're standing in line with as well. You get to see all the people that you're agreeing with, that you're called to be, in some sense, friends with, community with. Don't get me wrong, I don't think all friends are the same and everybody should relate the exact same depth and all that. I don't don't mean that. But I'm so not worried about you guys going out and feeling like you have to be so close friends to everybody that I'm not even going to spend too much time on that one at all. That pendulum has swung way the other way and I don't have to worry about it. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to ask a question in the scriptures. What does, what is friendship about? Where are we, what, what, how do we think about friendship and how do we think about it rightly? And what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time in the context of friendships. We're going to talk about some of the characteristic of friendships. And then we're going to try to move forward in that. The context of Friendships. The context of friendship, and this is, I'm totally just robbing Pastor Howard blind from yesterday, uh, from last week. The context of friendships is the same context of all relationships, and that is creation. Everyone in the world has the same two sets of context for friendships, and that is that we were created for it. Howard said last week well, we were made for each other, that we are stamped with a relational imprint, that we are, where there's no way for us to avoid relationship and or friendship. Ecclesiastes 4 says two are better than one, the part I read to you, because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, this friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Scripture knows it. Everybody in the world knows it. Everybody's, you know, kind of the hip thing is teamwork. Teamwork happens that's really good. We kind of understand that. Everyone gets it. We're kind of set with the DNA need for friendship. This is why you get kicked off Survivor if you can't make alliances. This is why you get the, you're fired if you can't play on team, but you can't build or uh, work on a team. This is why we like all the shows I mentioned before. It's even the cartoons. I was realizing this, I was, you know, I got on this thought, and I tend to kind of run with things. But my son's cartoons or Disney shows have nothing to do, or usually don't have anything to do with families either. It's really kind of bizarre. I have. Let me write what I write down. Uh, Bear in the big blue house. All different friends living in the same house. It's friends for two-year-olds. <laughs> the koala brothers. They're related. They're brothers, but they don't really kind of key up the brotherliness of it. It's not really about family. It's about all their friends hanging out with the koala brothers. And the Wiggles, for goodness sake, they're friends. That's what they... I don't exactly know what the Wiggles are. You, we can have that discussion later. Captain Feather Sword is a little, makes me nervous. Um, so does Jeff. Uh, but the Wiggles are friends too. It's not family, if you will. I was looking at MSN website, you know, they always pop up those little, um, little, you know, like five ways to fix this or that. And it was five ways to deal with a difficult coworker. Concentrate on being, the first three, concentrate on being a team player, enlist help, stay out of the gossip trap. Be a team player, get more team friends, and don't breach team. Don't be a gossip. Everybody kind of gets this. We know we're created for friendship. The bottom line, we are built for friendship, and God created us to rely on and be relying on, and be relied on by friends. But it's not just creation. As Pastor Howard so eloquently did last week, it's about the corruption too. The other context of friendships is not just that we were created for it, but that we have corrupted it. As Pastor Howard said, he said we, it was like this beautiful artwork that we just threw dirt on. The relationship dirt on. And we, uh, and Genesis kind of runs us right through that. I don't know if you knew where we... There was actually two sections in Genesis 4 that Pastor Howard read. The first part, starting in verse 9, was, I don't know. That's actually by Cain. It's actually an answer to the question by God, where's your brother that you just killed? And Cain says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Think about the relational breakdown, the brotherhood breakdown, the family breakdown, the friendship breakdown that's occurring. The Lord says, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Does that feel like some of our friendship problems, the context of our problems, not just this created glory that we're for, but this corruption that occurs in us too? And then if you go Genesis 1, creation, Genesis 2, creation, Genesis 3, fall, Genesis 4, the first murder, that's what just happens here. Genesis, that's 4A. 4B is Lamech. Lamech nobody knows who Lamech is. Lamech's just down on the genealogy and you got like three sentences about him. Lamech, this is what happens next. literally. think what's happening here. Bam, bam, bam. 4A, first murder. 4B, think about this in terms of friendship. Lamech says to his wives Adal and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words, I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man better translated a boy for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times by God, and Lamech, then Lamech 77 times. Lamech druts boisterously about his non-need for friends, about the breach of any friendship that would come. If you would even come close to injuring me, I will kill you, and I don't care if you're a man or a boy, you will die 77 times. That's the context of our friendships. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's not just this created kind of urge that we have. It's a corrupted mess as well. This is what we have. I have to... Kind of be straight with you. What does this mean for us? What does this mean for our relationships? What does it mean for our present loneliness, our present isolation? What does it mean for friendships that I have right now that feel shallow or they feel misguided or misrepresented or, or mismanaged or, or anything? What does it mean for the lack of friendships that I have that I long for so much? It means a couple of things and I have to level with you here. It means that we share a context of friendship that is desperate. <laughs> We are desperate for friends. A couple in the church took Pastor Howard and Kelly and demanded me out for a Christmas present. We went to go see a play. And the play was really, really funny. Actually, I want to recommend it for premarital counseling for everyone, anyone who gets married. It was called, um, I Love You, You're Perfect, Now Change. It was a really good show. And uh, it, you know, of course, played off all these kind of... Uh, both very funny and dark humor that was going on. And I was talking with someone about it at the coffee shop. And um, I said, yeah, it was really good. You know, striking up conversation. And he said, uh, I quoted, I quote him. I I remember writing it down. He uh, he said to me, um, I was telling him about how it was. And he said to me, uh, said something that seemed very, very, very sad to me. He said, uh, not in a mean spirited kind of way, but he said this. I usually find comedy about relationships disturbingly depressing and usually too close to hard reality to be funny. And laughing is just uh, covering it up. See, friendships aren't just everything we hope for. It's everything we fear. We are wanderers and avengers. We are canes and Lamechs. And, and, and we, and we take these things in our hands and, and, and we know we have to deal with wanderers and lameks. We have to deal with avengers and wanderers. We ourselves are them and we have to deal with others that are. You know what it's like. You know this ache. Wanting people to, cl- to be close and fearing at the same time they'll get too close. Wanting friendship, but being scared to death that you might get hurt. Wanting to be known, but scared to death that you're gonna be, that, that if you're known, you're not gonna be loved or liked. Sometimes we get the courage to pursue some friendships, but we pursue too hard in our insecurities, trying to fill up on those friends, trying to to fill up the empty in us. And we just try too hard. You see this on reality TV all the time. And it's hard, and we do it too. Other times we're too scared that we won't be loved, so we create these personas, these masks, these facades, and we try to interact with the facade, and if they like the facade pretty well, which is somewhat of a projection of us, then we can, we can kind of show a little bit more and show a little bit more, but we don't start well. We start with being fake, and we, and we, and we, we start with a mask, and we somehow, uh, uh, somewhere deep inside, try to convince ourselves that that's gonna be good enough. Just just hoping and praying that someone would like the fake selves we put before people. And other times, it's not out of a sense of wanting to to fill up or anything like that. Sometimes we genuinely, earnestly, and honestly pursue friendships, and they are just rejected. We have genuine, legitimate pursuit of another, and they either lamic us or cane us. And that is just hard. But that is the context of friendships. But I don't want you to be cynical. Because the other part is true too. It is not just a context of despair, but a context of hope. Because see, if it is true, if it is true that you were created for friendship, that means you have some semblance, even if corrupted, a capacity for it. It means you are set with this DNA that longs for it. And then the other person around you does too. In, in a more sappy, kind of to the heart way, it's because you, were, because you were made for it. It's everything you really ever wanted. You long for genuine relationships with friends, platonic, dear, trusting friendships. You're built that way. The longings you have are real and in some way they prove the fact that friendship. That the longing for friendship in some ways proves the fact that friendship must exist out there to fill the void. This is why you love Lord of the Rings or Divine Yahya Sisterhood or uh, Girlfriends or... I, I wasn't right, I know. Um, the Band of Brothers. We love that and we're not fools to love it. We're not. We're not pie in the sky. There's something deeply in us created for that should give us a tinge of hope even in the middle of the corruption. And even more, for those who call themselves followers of Christ, there even is a little bit more hope. Jesus says in John 15, which Pastor Howard read, which I have for you there, My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, and he laid down his life for his friends. Jesus is inviting his disciples to explore once again their capacity for friendship. He is commanding them, compelling them to love one another. A very proper application of this text, of this reading, is he's saying, be friends. Jesus provides here a clear example, a clear command and a clear example. And he says, I want you to base your friend having, your friend being on the way I am a friend to you. Love each other as I have loved you and greater love has one no one than this than to lay down his life for his brothers. Now look, lots of people think a lot of things about Jesus. Some think he was great. Some call him Savior, Savior. Some call him um, a good... Really astute teacher. Some call him a a political rabble rouser and none of the spiritual things we might add to it as Christians. Some call him a lot of things, but nobody ever really goes after the character of Jesus' relationships with other people. No one ever goes after Jesus as friend. Everyone knows that Jesus is a relational guru and we should listen. Everyone agrees there. No one's going after, no one goes after Jesus for moral failure. You know, they go after for other reasons. So he says uh, that you have this, this consummate friend who is saying to his people, I want you to be a friend like me. The hope is not just that you were created for it, but the hope is that I am a clear example of it. And I have some things to teach you about being a friend. There's more hope to come, and we'll we'll talk about that. Exemplar, as we will find, is actually not good enough. Having the consummate friend uh, as your example isn't good enough. But for now, let's just kind of table that, and let's talk about um, about Jesus and friendship. If it's true that Jesus is the Word of God, as it, or if, uh, yeah, if Jesus is called the Word of God, and the Word of God declares things about friendship, the Bible declares things about friendship. Then it's fair to say that Jesus actually teaches throughout Scripture teaches us things about friendship. So we come to the guru, the consummate friend, and we say, teach us. Teach us a little about the characteristics of friendship that you have. How do you value friendship? And this is where we're getting to these other scripture verses before us. And, oh, man, I had like uh, like 10 or 15 different C's that I was going to use. It was all going to be alliterative and it was all going to be cool. And then I realized there's no way in God's green earth you're going to remember 15 C's. Uh, So I'm stuffing them all into three. Okay? And so if you get a little lost at this point, I probably will too. The first three, or the only three, are charity, companionship, and you can tell I already cheated. Confession and confrontation. That's 1C. Charity, companionship, and confession and confrontation. Those are the three we're going to explore. Look at John 15 again. My command is this love each other as I have loved you. The first principle of Christian friendship, of friendship at all, of any kind of friendship, is love or charity. Same word. It's it's graciousness and kindness. It's delight. in. look at First Thessalonians 2. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well because you had become so dear to us. Look at the affection there. Loved you so much. Delighted. Dear to us. And this is where friendship, a characteristic friendship with charity is just being liked and liking people. This is way, uh, Amanda and I do this, uh, uh, that, you know, do you love me? I mean, I love you, I love you too. Do you like me? (laughs) Do you like me right now? Yeah, I like you. Yeah, I like you. You know which one's usually more important to me? The like. The like. That's what Christian friendship is. It's your like. C.S. Lewis says, uh, friendship is this thing where you, you meet somebody and you go, oh, you too? I thought I was, uh, yeah. That's what friendship is. That you kind of delight in that with each other. That you're, you're, you you, you share something. You, you, you know something together. It's when you stare, you share your days. You live your, you do life together. You tell stories together. You do events together. You take vacations together. You have mealtimes to be, to, to get together. Oh, to be liked. It's still the most number one haunting reality of my life is that I really don't think people like me. It is hard. It is really hard. And then it shows us that this charity, this love, is not just liking people, but sacrificially loving people as well. Remember, uh, greater love is no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. This love is sacrificial. This means that all those times you're going to spend with each other are going to make you sacrifice your daytimer to spend time with them. You're going to have to love them and it's going to hurt you. You're going to spend stuff that is not the stuff you want to keep in order to keep a friend. You're not going to... to True friendship, charity friendship is one that uh, that is not looking to interact with a friend to be filled up, but to fill up someone else. You're not using the resources that you have at your disposal for yourself, but for the other. Let me give you one. If if we could all get this, we would be so much more charitable friends. When someone strikes up a conversation with you, whether you've known them for 20 years or 15 minutes, do not reciprocate their comment back to yourself, but ask them further about themselves. Do not, uh, hey, you know... uh, uh, I lived in uh, in the southeast for a while, and then I moved to um, to Europe, and I lived in Europe for a, a year. You lived in Europe for a year. I lived in Europe for three years. Da, 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 you know, you know, I was, you know, like that. There is some connection and importance there, but let, why don't you ask a little bit more about their year? Learn a little bit more about. Them. People want to be heard. People want to be listened to, and that's a good charitable, sacrificial type of friendship. That doesn't mean you can't ever do the other. And, Again, I said, it's you too, what? Oh, yeah, that's an important part of friendship as well. But don't make it always about yourself. The next one, companionship. This, one's a little, this is where I've stuffed everything in, so just so you know what's coming. Companionship. This is where we share our burdens and our resources. 1 Corinthians 12, If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. In Acts 4, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and much grace was upon them all. It's sharing our resources and our burdens. I'm just going to illustrate to you some of the things that have happened in this church, which just blows me away. One family gave several thousand dollars to our mercy fund so that we might give it away to our neighbors within our community, they realized that we were in a, that, that several people were without jobs and situations they need. So they had extra, and they just gave extra beyond their tithe, beyond the offering. They just gave straight to our mercy fund. Our mercy fund, by the way, we probably give somewhere between $300 and $500 a month away to people, even in our own congregation, to, uh, to, to for help to help people keep on walking alongside of each other. No one claimed any possession of as his own, but they shared everything they had. Some of you have given cars away with pe- to people in this community because they might need them instead. And think about what that is. You can get a couple thousand bucks off a used car and you can get some more stuff. But you give it away because your brother and sister are in need. But we don't just share our resources. We share our burdens. This talking about everything... Um, this, what I'm talking about for everything from here is taking care of pets to helping people move. Um... But I'm talking about the harder things in life as well, the suffering, the sharing and the suffering, as the Scripture says. This past week I heard of a couple who invited another couple over that was having in the middle of a, a medical scare. And they just spent the next two days with them. It was over the holidays. It was a little easier to do that. But they just spent the day with them, just giving friendship distraction to the medical scare that was in, in the middle happening and couldn't get resolved until later. Just was with them. The ministry of presence Just just bearing the burden of of angst by being there with them. I've seen a a thousand times emails and uh, and, uh, letters and phone calls uh, with all the uh, support of emotional prayer and practical help that comes out. Everything from family tragedies to just simple prayer requests to new babies being born. We want to be about that together. We want to be that authentic community together. This is about true friendship. This is about living together. But it's not just bearing the burdens and the resources. It's about celebration. It's not just the downtimes. It's the uptimes too. Acts 2. Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Just enjoying one another. And not just celebration, but mission as well. Togetherness on on the, uh, the mission of the kingdom of God. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Christian friendship is tied to worship. It's tied to celebration and mission as well. Companionship is not just sharing life lows, but it's highs as well. uh, um, And the best example I have of this is is three couples, three families in our church who have covenanted, which is just basically a big promise, um, to, to live life together and to follow it together. It's actually four, and one has had to move away. Three are at this church. Um, And they do all sorts of crazy things. Their kids are always at each other's house. Uh, they, they spend the night you, you don 't really know necessarily who 's with who at any given point sometimes because uh, they 're always at each other 's house they 've learned to be companions together not only that they 're considering moving to the uh, to across the street from their friends uh the browns and the and amanda bullen and so they buy they 're looking at a lot a couple lots in the neighborhood and they 're looking at a lot some lots in the neighborhood and uh one 's got, got a kind of more of a, a young business and doesn 't have the capital that it would normally have and so they 're buying the lots well one friend just says, I just buy both lots and you can pay me back when it's time. Who does this? Nobody does this. Only freaky Christian people do this kind of stuff. Or true friends. And isn't that something we long for? I'm not trying to burden you, brothers and sisters, that you're going to have those friends immediately. These are long, painstaking years of relating and they still fight good. But doesn't something in you just go, whoa? Could I hope for things like that too? Could I pursue those things as well? And they have a long way to go, but that's what they're about. Last one, which I think is the longest and hardest one. Confession and confrontation. This is so ridiculously unpopular, but so important. Characteristics of friendship that we would confess our sins. We confess who we are. Think about this. Telling about yourself or telling on yourself to another. Telling the truth about your truest self to your friend. Bringing your darkness into the light. William James, uh, James 5 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. Healing is somehow tied to bringing it out in the light. William James says, For him who confesses, shams are over and realities have begun. Reality. You walk into reality when you can bring your true self out and say, You know, I've messed up. I did wrong. When you hear my confession, I don't mean that in the Catholic absolution kind of sense, uh, uh, but something near it. Something near it. When you tell your friend. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in a book called Life Together, which I recommend to all says this in confession, the breakthrough to community takes place. Sin demands to have a man or woman by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will the power of sin over him. And the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. In the darkness of the unexpressed, it poisons the whole being of a person. This can happen even in the midst of a pious, uh, holy community. In confession, the light of the gospel breaks into the darkness and the seclusion of the heart how beautiful is that friendship that is includes confession where you can go and say, I'm a train wreck. I've messed up. I messed up bad. I've really messed up. Will you, will you walk with me through this? One of the most amazing experiences I have this of ever was at a retreat at a church that I was an assistant pastor at. And, uh, it started, it was an officer's retreat. So these are the good folk, right? This is the night, nice, you know, these are supposed to be holy folk, uh, as elders and deacons and things like that. And the pastor um, you know, genius or dumb luck said we're going to start the evening, the very first thing we're going to do is we're going to just spend some time confessing our sins to each other. You know, it's like 7 o'clock, it's after dinner, we're like, you know, maybe a couple hours for 10 or 15 people to go and we'll be good. And he says, and here's the dumb luck part, but what I want you to do is confess the thing that you messed up most this year in. At 4 a.m. we ended. At 4 a.m. we ended. Of course, he started. By the time we had finished, these are men that I would um, I would lay my de- life down for, whom I trust. By the time we finished, we had people who were confessing things like never have given a penny to the church in the year. <laughs> these are elders and deacons. We've had people confessing all sorts of uh, temptations in the realm of of, of, of internet pornography, uh, actions of internet pornography. We had people saying they created personas on the internet to relate. Nothing even, you know, uh, 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 nothing even like that was going another step into kind of adulterous affair, but just creating a persona because they wanted to have some relationship out there. They wanted to have a friend. We had, um, we had shoved spouses and uh, creations of personas, as I said, and it was amazing. At 4 a.m., we were spent, but we loved each other. And we heard the good news of the gospel to each other and spoke it to each other because we confessed our sins together and the power of that isolating poison of unconfessed sin was broken. It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. To this day, it's one of the most powerful experiences I've ever had in my life. Now, there's... I'm not saying let's go out in the coffee right here and do all this. I'm not saying there's got to be trustworthiness and care and love and all the other elements of friendship. We do not throw our um, pearls to swines. We need to be very careful about who we do this to. But we got to do it somewhere. Do you confess to anyone? Anyone? I would say, whew, am I going to say this? If you're not confessing, you're probably not having friends in a biblical sense. The flip side of confession is confrontation. It's the harder one. The first one is you bring into the light your own darkness. The other one is that you bring someone else's darkness into the light for their good because you love them. Confession and confrontation. Confrontation is, uh, is, is hard no one wants to do it, but the Scripture is clear. Luke 17, so watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Seems real easy, right? You know, that's like 25 hours of prayer in between that, you know, and, and, and 10 mistries and all that other stuff, you know, and uh, runaways and all that other stuff. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. You know, forget that. That's really hard. Proverbs 27, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted But an an enemy multiplies kisses. Hmm. Look, confront me. Please confront me. If I'm a mess, if I'm taking us in a direction we're not supposed to, if I take a relationship that we have in a wrong direction, please confront me. Don't hate me with neglect. Please don't hate me with neglect. Don't hate me with judgmentalism. Don't bring the heat that's going to injure and hurt. Make them faithful wounds of a friend. But don't hate me with neglect either. Come, talk with me. Talk with your brothers and sisters and deal with each other well in the context of this beautiful grace that we have. How do we move forward in this? Well, we have to create an atmosphere where this kind of friendship can occur. That's what we do. We have to give a a hospitality for it, Uh, uh, an experience uh, where we can be trusted to be confessed to, and then we probably have to do some confronting, and it's never going to feel good. But we walk forward in humble reliance on the Lord, not in judgmentalism, breaking for that person, loving them, but trying to help them and rescue them from their blindness or their uh, or their rebellion. That's what we do. That's what we do. Uh, at the risk of uh, him not being here and this being improper, if you want to know how confront, a, a good way confrontation was done, I'd ask you to ask Joel Brown. Uh, he has it just seared in his memory. Um, it's called McDonald's. And all you have to do is say McDonald's. Because his brothers, uh, who love him as a as brothers and friend, at one point when he was struggling, he was losing his mind and all of that stuff, came to him and just dealt with him man to man. He's finally out of college, they were- you know, wasn't your little brother anymore, and they treated him as one who deserves the respect of confrontation. It has subsequently changed his life. They have loved him well and he'll, tell, he'll be glad to tell you all about it. And you guys have loved him well, and it was beautiful. And he, called, he says he's never going back to McDonald's on Central Avenue again, but you <laughs> but, <laughs> loved him well. <laughs> okay. I could have very much just burdened you because you have no capacity for that kind of friendship outside of Christ. We must turn again to the consummate friend. The way forward is not you get your day timer straight. You need to get your day timer straight and and really dig into friendship. But the way forward is to be befriended by the consummate friend. And I'm not just talking about newly, if you're a non-believer. I'm talking about if you're a believer too. The solution to move forward in friendship is to believe and trust that this may sound cheesy, that God in Christ likes you. God likes you. The deep longings for friendship are met. in Jesus, who is called in the scriptures that we have here, friend of sinners, friend of tax collectors and sinners, the given is you stink at friendships. And he knows it. And he is friend of sinners who stink at friendships, who are too selfish, who are too lamic, who are too cain. Jesus, the friend of sinners. It says in John 15, my command is this: love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for his brother. You are my friends if you do what I command. That if you do what I command, uh, of course, had to look up the context because you know I really get nervous about these kind of sermons. Anyway, look up the context. You know what the command is? There. It's John 15. It's the vine and the branches. You know what you're commanded to do? Rest. And that God is your vine and you're the branches. Suck in that which He gives. (laughs) That's what you're commanded to do. That's what it is to be a friendship. To rely on God alone. To rely on Him. To be befriended by Him. And now this becomes the your incredible fuel, your ability to be a friend to another, because you've already got a good friend. You've already got the consummate friend. And so now you can walk across that really kind of nervous time at Anderson's or uh at a playgroup or wherever it is, where you're going, gosh, I don't want to I don't want to reveal this, I don't want to confess, I don't really want to dig deeper. You can go, No, I'm already a beloved friend. I can risk on this person, and if they lomic me or they cane me, I'm okay. I can rest secure that Jesus is the consummate friend and he is my friend if you come to him. You're un- you have indestructible ability to be a friend then because you have the one that has befriended you who has given you, has created the very longings you have in creation, who has rescued the corruption from the corruption and has restored friendship, not just the friendship exemplar, but the friendship savior. That's who we have in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You're a friend of sinners. We thank You that You love us and we don't deserve it, but You love us anyway. We thank You that because of the source and fuel You give us, we can then spend our lives and our friendship energy on others. Lord, be with us now as we turn to your table where you meet us as friends. In your name, amen.